Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Doing all right? Come on, three people excited. I don't know excited. That's all right. I know it's a little bit hard. We're feeling a little lethargic. Somewhat after the travel, certainly after the eating. How many of you guys ate a good meal over Christmas? Anybody get some good food in you? Come on. Now listen, I love seeing my nieces. I enjoy being with my brothers, but eating is always the best part of Christmas. It's always the best part. It's a great thing. Somebody help me out. What did you eat for Christmas? What did you eat? Turkey. Turkey? And what? Pasole. Pasole. Tamales, come on. Yeah, I know. I wanted to go over here. I love pasole. Oh, man. So Christmas Eve, listen, food is awesome. I love food. Food is great. It's so good. You need it to live, which is wonderful. But have you ever thought about this? Food could have been flavorless and kept you alive. But God loves us so much that he gave it some flavor. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is a blessing. That is a good thing. So this Christmas Eve, I went and I said, I want to make this special for my wife. And, and I went out early in the morning on Christmas Eve, and I got all the ingredients and everything. And I made her uh, a homemade breakfast. And then for lunch, I put together tacos. I'm talking about good old Mexican tacos. I marinated the steak just right. Got the jalapenos, the lime, the cilantro, the garlic in there, the olive oil. Had it sitting marinated. Oh, man, I cooked it up good, the cilantro, onion on top. I love tacos. And it just basks the entire home in that smell of the cooking meat. And, man, it was good. <laughs> Food is awesome. And today I want to talk to you about fasting, which is the opposite of food. But listen, food is awesome. God is way better. Amen? Amen. God is way better. God is way better. And so listen, every year this is something that New Life does together, a time and season of prayer and fasting, about 21 days, 21 days that we're going to be setting aside to pursue the Lord together as one body in 28 locations, one church. And I want to invite you into this. I want to invite you into this time of fasting. Although food is good and it tastes good and it's awesome and some of you are wondering, I just don't know what would happen if I went an entire day without eating food. It's a scary thought. You, you don't want to know, you're not sure that you'll die, but you don't want to tempt it, right? You don't want to test it. And so sometimes uh, this, this thing of fasting, it's not normative to our culture, but this is something that happened all throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament culture. This was something that people did to set aside a significant amount of time to go without food and to remind ourselves very simply of the words that Jesus states, man does not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, right? There is a sense in which we need food to survive. We need food to live. And God is saying, but you need me. More than you need food, we need God, right? Because in the desert, he led Israel when they had nothing. And he said, don't worry, I'll make it rain bread. That's weird, right? But if you don't have food and you do have God, you're going to be just fine. But if you don't have God, if you don't have God, there is an emptiness that food can never fill. It just can't. And some of us, we're kind of overwhelmed by this kind of super, super, superfluous, there we go, third tries the charm, superfluous nature of the presence of God. And what I mean by this is that it seems to the Christian, to the spiritually minded individual, that God is saturating everything. 
So what that means is that if I don't read my Bible today, if I don't pray today, if I don't go to church today, if I kind of miss this chance to engage with God, I have this strong sense that I didn't miss anything. Don't worry, I can encounter God tomorrow. And because of that, we can kind of push God off in a way that we never would do with food. We don't think to ourselves, you know what? I think three is too many. I think I'm only going to eat one meal today. Did you eat this week? No, I forgot. Can you believe it? I feel bad. I know I should eat more. No, we don't have that same response. Because we understand our need of food in a deep and visceral way. But in fasting, what we're doing is we're recognizing, God, more than I need this, I need you. And so I want to I want to lead you, as I do every year, to a biblical perspective of what fasting is. I want you to, I want you to understand it as we invite you into this, for some of you, very new culture. And so fasting at its heart is simply this. Biblical fasting can be defined as abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. In John Piper's book, Hunger for God, which I highly recommend if you're looking for a good book on fasting, Hunger for God is an incredible one. If you've never read Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, it's an older book, but exceptional in looking at Christian disciplines. He says this, though, John Piper, Christian fasting at its root is the hunger of a homesickness for God. Christian fasting is not only the spontaneous effect of superior satisfaction in God, in other words, that only he can satisfy us, it is also a chosen weapon against every force in the world that would take that satisfaction away. It is the thing that says, more than I need anything else, I need God. So I want to silence other voices, silence other things, and I want to pursue him uniquely. And so I want you in this season, which is going to start January 5th. Somebody say January 5th. January 5th. So I know it feels forever away. It is a year away, but in a much more real sense, it's only a week away. I want you to understand that as we pursue this together for 21 days, I want to invite you into uniquely setting apart time to seek after the heart of God, to seek after a closeness and intimacy with him. I want you to understand that this is an intimacy that God longs for with you. And if you've never pursued him in this way, this is just one more tool in your tool belt of saying, how do I draw close to him significantly? How do I draw near to him significantly? And so I want you to understand this is a very biblical thing as we talked about before. Jesus, before he began his public ministry in Luke chapter 4, he goes out in the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. And eats nothing and drinks nothing. This is known as a supernatural fast. If you think that's what you're signing up for with new life, I want you to know we do not require that you go without food or water. That is not the kind of fast that we're pursuing, but it is biblical in nature. We see Jesus doing it and the Holy Spirit miraculously providing. This is not an everyday fast. This is not normative for Jewish culture. But Jesus did this. Nehemiah, he fasted for confession, repentance, and favor to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. In other words, he wanted to go before the king and ask him, can we leave your employ and go rebuild our nation? And before he asks this question, he understands that they as a people need to gather together, fast and pray, repent before God of their sin, and ask for favor as they approach a foreign king. David King David humbled himself for God to intervene because of injustice in Psalm 35. In other words, he had been gravely wronged, and he was asking God to intervene, and so he fasted and prayed. Mordecai and the Jews fasted upon hearing the news of Haman's wicked plot for their extermination. The king, uh, his right-hand man, 
man had devised a plot to kill all the Jews. And so Esther was going to go before the king without being summoned, something that could eventually end in her death. If he doesn't extend the scepter, then she would be killed for coming into his throne room and into his presence unbidden. Before she does this, this incredible act of courage, she asks for Mordecai, the Jews, and even her handmaiden, who wasn't Jewish, she said, let us fast for three days and pray. And they did. The early church fasted as a part of their worship and to seek the Lord for guidance, confirmation, and the appointment of elders. Acts chapter 13, as they were trying to figure out, hey, we're going to send people out on a missionary journey, plant churches, who should it be? They began to pray amongst them, and they fasted to God for direction. And while they were fasting and praying, the Lord directed them, appointing the two individuals that would be sent out. Jesus expected his disciples to fast. In Matthew chapter 6, he doesn't say if you pray, he says when. But sorry, he does say that about prayer. Not if you pray, when you pray. Not if you fast, when you fast. There's an expectation that this would be something that they do, and he begins to explain how they would do it. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, he gives us kind of a consideration for a private fast, something you would do on your own as a particular thing to pursue God personally. And it says no one else should know what's going on. It's between you and God. This is a little bit different in the nature of it because it is a corporate fast. And if you're hoping to keep the secret from everyone else in your life, I'm sorry, I've just let the cat out of the bag. But it's okay to have this corporate fast together as well. But if you're fasting, you don't need to go up to your other religious friends and say, are you fasting? How are you fasting? I bet I can fast longer than you can. That's, that's not the point of it. That's not the purpose, right? So he says, hey, when you fast, do it this way. Shut the door, right? Don't tell anybody else what's going on. And go and engage with God personally and privately. So there are wrong motives to fasting as well. And just to point these out real quickly, if you're doing this to be seen by others, like I said, if you're trying to boast or brag or someone's elbowing someone right now making little bets, like, I bet you 10 bucks I can go longer than you can without eating, stop it. That's not the point. It's not to be justified by God, Luke 18. It's not so that we can earn God's approval or his forgiveness, right? And in Luke 18, we're given this picture of two men who come before God. One of them, right, he's, a, he's a, a Pharisee. And he says, man, every week I fast two days a week, and I thank you, God, that I'm not like this sinner over here. Thank you, Lord, that you hear my prayers. And the other guy, he simply prays, and he beats his chest. Not having fasted, not having followed the law, he beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. When Jesus asks the question, which one of these two walk away kind of with God having heard them, God responding to them, it was not the one who says, but I fasted. It's the individual who came with humility of heart, recognizing they were undeserving of God. In other words, we cannot simply live a wicked lifestyle. We cannot simply live as though uh, we're not following God and then say, but I fasted, right? If you get to heaven and you're trying to convince God to let you in and you're like, but I did go a lot of times without eating, you're not going to impress anyone. That's not the purpose. It's not to be commended by God. In other words, that God would say, man, you're so great. You're so religious. You're so spiritual. The purpose is not to earn his favor. Food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat nor the better if we do eat. Fasting does not cause us to earn something from God. But it helps us to be more receptive to what he wants to do in and through us. And so I want you to hear this. 
This isn't about earning God's favor. It's not about living repentance. It's not the purpose of fasting. Fasting is literally this time that we set apart before God in order to draw nearer to him, to hear his voice, to understand his will, and to move in accordance with his purpose. So this is the purpose of fasting. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. Um, if you uh, have a bulletin or something, there's a handout actually inside, I believe, that's going to help you kind of understand a little bit more about fasting. For those of you who have never done it before, and you're like, y'all are crazy, 20 how many days? Mm-hmm. Listen, I can't miss a meal, let alone 21 days. Listen, I want to ask you to do this. If this is not a normal thing for you, uh, you've never fasted before, please, please, please don't start by going 21 days without eating. Okay? Over the 21-day period of time, I advise you to set aside time, if you can, every day to reflect in prayer, to reflect on the Word of God, to spend time pursuing the heart of God. But if you could, if you've never fasted before, maybe consider taking one day and fasting all day long. Fast all day long. 24 hours, don't eat anything. Okay? If you're feeling ambitious, do that once each week. So three times, three different days, you'll go without eating. Pick your favorite day, Saturday, Monday, whatever it is. And say, hey, during this time, instead of eating, I'm going to draw close to the Lord in prayer. Okay? If there are some of you who say, hey, listen, um, that's still going to be kind of hard for me. Uh, can I just give up something small? I had someone who came up to me one time, uh, and they said, hey, for fasting this season, I want you to know I'm giving up chocolate chip cookies. And I was like, man, I don't know you like that. Maybe you survive on chocolate chip cookies. Maybe that's like two out of your three meals. And you giving up chocolate chip cookies is the world to you. I don't know. But what I am saying is if you're just trying to cut out sweets for fasting, that's a great diet. But it's missing the purpose of what a fast is. There's some people who will say, I'm cutting out social media. You know what? If social media is bogging you down and getting in the way of you being able to pray and seek God, cut it out. Some people say, I'm not going to listen to music. If that's a disturbance, cut it out. But listen, those things are not fasting. Fasting in and of itself is to stop eating. And the significance of this is to remind ourselves that we depend upon the Lord for life. And it's also to draw close to him. So good, cut out those things. Fast from media, do those kinds of things. Some of you will say, what about the Daniel fast? And that's a restricted dietary thing that was literally... Daniel uh, and some of the other Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, hey, we're not going to eat these things that go against the law of God. And so if you want to eat according to the Jewish Old Testament in the times where they were carried away into exile, you can do that. That's a great diet, and it will fall in line with the law of God. But it doesn't call it a fast in Scripture. And so these are healthy things to help disturb our normal. But I want to be very clear that fasting is something that should be um, kind of understood as to what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And it's a time of going without eating and or drinking in order to spend a specific amount of time focused on the Lord. Does this make sense? Everybody get it? Okay. So January 5th, we're going to start this and do it for three weeks. January 5th, 21 days. I want to invite you to join us in this. And as we focus on um, prayer and fasting, um, this is really going to be my focus. In the midst of the fast, I think it's very good to have a focus, to have something that you intend to do. And my focus is going to be simply and purely drawing near to God. I think this is the most simple uh, and, and very healthy way of fasting. Some of you are going to say, I need an answer to a question. That's okay. Some of you are going to say, I'm in the middle of turmoil. 
and I need God to move, that's all right. There is biblical fasting that happens under those circumstances. But for me and myself, I think that the very first place we need to start is just by saying, God, where are we at? What's the distance look like? Because some of us, we have mastered what it is to look like a Christian on the outside. Your presets on your car are dialed into K-Love, right? And Shine FM. Right? You, you, you read the, you have a Bible app that shoots you out a Bible verse every 10 minutes. Right? You do these things and people go, oh, you're so spiritual. You know in your heart you're far from him. So I want to talk about this drawing close, this connection with Christ. And so we're going to do this in a, a, a rather popular passage of scripture. If you've been here for a while, you've probably heard me preach on it before. But if you would, please turn with me to John 15. This is the passage that talks about the vine and the branches. And I want you to understand the connection that Christ is looking for. As you're looking that up, I just want to um, go over our purpose again as a church, as new life. 28 locations, one purpose. Our purpose is to be a family of love that cooperates with God in making fully devoted, fruitful followers of Christ. This is our purpose. This is why we exist, to be fruitful. And in this passage, the primary focus is actually on us staying closely connected to Christ in order to live a fruitful life. And so I want you to hear this straight from the words of, from the mouth of Jesus, talking to his disciples. Number one, God wants to cultivate you to produce good fruit with your life. God has a vision of your life to produce fruit. In John 15, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because the word I have spoken to you remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And so he's giving them a very popular metaphor of the time. I don't know how many of you have ever been to a vineyard. How many of you? Show of hands. One, two, three, four, four, five, six, and it looks like a neck stretch. So we'll go six and a half a minute. <laughs> but I want you to see the picture. He's giving them something that they would have been very familiar with. This is the vine, right? It goes into the ground, and it, it takes the nutrients of the soil and the rain and everything, and it, it brings it up through the vine. And each of these individual branches, right, these branches that are growing out, that's actually where the fruit is grown. And if you take a closer look during harvest time, you can even see, uh, if we could go to the next picture, the vine comes up, and then these branches shoot off, and they produce the fruit. And so this is the whole thing. He says, you know what? A branch all by itself can't produce fruit, but I want you to be fruitful. And so in order to do that, you need to remain in me, stay close to me. It's not like, hey, you heard something from me, now go out and do your own thing. It says, no, I want you to stay close, stay connected. This is so important. And we understand this, right? We understand that, that the fruit that comes out of this, the fruit that God desires to be produced in our life, it comes out rather naturally in the life that has remained close to Jesus in the life that has remained close to Jesus. I think there are some of us that want to kind of control this and say, how do I make fruit happen? How do I make kind of this spiritual thing take place? How do I see the results? How do I, how do I have these things take place, right? If you've got a family that's lost, how do I make sure that all my family is going to get saved? 
I just stay close enough to Jesus, that's going to happen, right? I don't know that we're promised that. You say, man, if I just if I just do this, you know, right now I'm kind of struggling. When I read the Bible, it just I, I'm wrestling with it. Maybe if I just stay close to Jesus, then magically I'm just going to understand everything. And passages of Scripture I've never even read before are going to come into my mind and flow off my mouth. And I don't know that that's the case. And some of you, you're like, man, I just get so flustered talking to other people. And I get before them, and I want to talk about God, and I'm just like, Jesus. And they're like, yeah, what about it? And you're like, Jesus? And you're like, maybe the closer I get, right? Like, I'll get better at speaking. I don't know if that's necessarily promised. But I tell you what will happen. That as you stay connected to the true vine, which is Jesus, Jesus will start to come out of you. And so this is important. We need to understand what the fruit is that he's talking about. Fruit is very simply that which flows from Jesus. Here it's going to be love that fleshes itself out in obedience. If you will love me, obey my commandments. That obedience is to this righteousness, this goodness in the world that ultimately leads to discipleship. So I, I want to bring it to you just really simply. I think you guys can handle this. Um, any of you that study trees, work with trees for a living? Any of you just have a green thumb, very good at plant life, understand that kind of stuff? Nobody in here? Okay, we're going to do the best we can. Here we go. Deep breaths. We can do this. An orange tree produces what kind of fruit? Oranges. Oh, my God. That was unanimous. You guys are smarter than you let on. All right. And an apple tree produces what kind of fruit? Apples. A banana tree produces? Bananas. Bananas. That's right. That's right. And what kind of fruit does a Jesus tree produce? Little Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. That's exactly it. And I'm very intentional with this because there's a lot of people, theologically and otherwise, who get this passage kind of turned around. And what they say is, like, let's call this fruit. And we want to say this, right? Like, if fruit is the growth of our church, then if we stay close to Jesus, our church will be filled. I don't know that that's what he's promising here. Some of you say, man, I want to be the greatest evangelist that ever lived. I met a kid one time. He was ambitious. He said... I'm praying to God that he would allow me to lead an incredible number of people to Jesus. I said, that's amazing. Like, how many are we talking? He says, I'm praying for one million. And I was like, what? He's like, hey, Billy Graham did it. I'm like, yeah. Not many others. You know, like, that's a big thing. That's huge. And if we think, man, if I just do this, God will give me what I, I don't know if that's true. I don't know that we can completely control the outcome, but I tell you what will come out. The fruit that is produced is Jesus coming out of you. This is the reality. But as you stay close to Jesus, he's going to start to change your character and your nature and your behavior so that you start to become like Jesus. And there's going to be things out of you that weren't a part of you before that start to engage. And so as you stay close to Jesus, the Jesus starts to come out. This is the fruit. And so some of that fruit is going to be born in a love that looks like Jesus, in an obedience to the Father that looks like Jesus, to the kind of life and making disciples and commitment to the cause of the kingdom of God that reflects Jesus. But if you are connected to Jesus, what you produce with your life is going to look just like him. I can remember when I was 14 years old, I was at a conference with a bunch of other youth, and the leader of that conference, he asked us to make a bold stand. And he said, if you're willing to say for the rest of your life, God, if you'll lead me, I'll follow you. I want you to stand up. So I did. 
And I stood up and he had us repeat after him. And I meant it with all my heart. I said, God, wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. And at that point in time, at 14 years old, although I grew up going to church, although I grew up in a godly home, although I grew up around the Bible, it was at that point in time when the distance between me and Jesus began to grow slimmer and slimmer. This was the time when I was probably just beginning this really closeness with Jesus. And from that time on, things began to change. My personality began to shift. The way that I engaged with others, the kind of patience, the kind of love, the things that came out of me, they looked a lot less like that sarcastic punk of a kid and a lot more like Jesus. And I know that this is true because the proof is in the pudding. Not what do you think about yourself, but what do other people think about you, right? What have they seen? The proof is in the pudding when it becomes evident. And I remember sitting down at the dining room table at my grandparents' house. My cousin was there. I was 16 years old. And my cousin looked at me. And he asked me, he says, man, what happened to you? I said, what do you mean? He says, about two years ago, something happened. Something changed. What was it? And I thought about it, and I didn't have to think that hard. I said, that was the time when I got serious in my relationship with Jesus. He's like, yeah, I can tell. I said, how could you tell? He says, that's when you became way less of a jerk. And my grandma was there, and she's like, that's true. I said, thanks, Grandma. Yeah, I really appreciate that. But there was something inside of me that began to shift and change the closer I got to Jesus. And this is true for you. I think all of us, right, we want to produce fruit in keeping with who God is. And some of us, we have tried and strained to kind of produce this thing. A friend of mine used to say it this way. He'd say, you will never, ever, ever get next to a fruit tree that is in blossom but hasn't provided fruit yet and get close enough and hear the tree going, there's no strain, there's no struggle. There's just a branch that's close to the tree that stays healthy and naturally produces fruit. Disconnect that branch from the tree, however, and it will not produce fruit no matter how hard you try. All of us have been in the middle of a windstorm. We have seen the branches come down in our yard. And I bet not a single one of you said, you know what, let's leave the branches there. They'll all turn into trees. It'll be great. You know, once the branch is disconnected from the tree, it has no source of life anymore, and it will die and clutter up your yard, and that's just how it's going to be until you remove it. And this is the reality. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to stay close to me, stay attached, because if you are a branch that is detached from the vine, you will have no life in you, and you will not flourish. Second, the only way to produce fruit is to be connected to Jesus. Without him, your life is wasted and destroyed. And so I just want to ask you guys today, are you connected to Jesus? Some of you, you've been serving Christ longer than I've been alive. Some of you, you've been reading the Bible, and you're like, yeah, I'm going through for the 37th time, and I'm like, man, I've read through the whole thing like six. Right? Some portions more than others. But you're like, are you kidding me? Every year I go through this again. Like, wow, that's great. I gotta ask you, are you close to Jesus? How do we measure this? It's a difficult thing. I don't know that there's an easy standard, but you want to ask, does your heart long for Jesus? Because if it doesn't, if there's no longing inside of you, that's an indicator that something is off. If you do not hunger for the things of God, your wanter is off. The Bible says here that those who produce fruit, God who is the farmer, he comes in, right? 
and he begins to prune so that you produce more fruit. Some of us are content, man, I know I'm not going to hell. I'm saved. I'm following Jesus, and you think you're done. No, look out. God wants to prune you so that you produce more fruit. This is it. And Jesus is very clear on this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Let that feel like a warning. Because it is. This is Jesus not talking to a group of people who are saying some of you will follow, others won't. This isn't a mountaintop moment where 50,000 people are listening. It's not that kind of situation. Jesus, in John chapter 14, is gathered together with his 12 disciples, and he's continuing that conversation in 15. He is talking to his disciples, and to them he is saying, You disciples, you who have given up everything to follow me, you who have preached and taught and cast out demons and prayed for the lame and watched them walk and the blind and saw them see, you who have said yes to Jesus and believed on him as the one who has come from God, you, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Hear this well, there is no imaginary third option. I think some of us want to believe there's like the people who are living passionately for Jesus, and there's the people who are definitely going to hell, and then there's that third group of people who are like non-practicing Christians. I believe in Jesus, it's just not my thing. I believe in Jesus, I just, I don't know, you know, I figure I'll get around to it later. You know, God and I, we have an understanding, God and I get each other. Well, my parents go to church all the time. We have this kind of conceptualization that the way that it works is that there's some kind of third option. He doesn't give it. It says you'll either be cultivated by God to produce more and more godliness, or you will wither, become fruitless, and be destroyed. There is a reality to this that has to hit our heart like a warning. There's a reality to this that has to leave us going, man, what is happening because sometimes in the rhythms of our life, we remember when we were close to God, and we look now and we see the distance, and we wonder, how have we gotten so far away? When was the last time we read our Bible? And it's not like a checklist thing. It's like a heart thing. Why don't I want it anymore? Instead of listening to sermons and saying, man, how do I get to know God better? We find little ways to kind of critique. And say, oh, he's, he's given that analogy before. He's given that story before. I have. I need new material, guys. I'm working on it. <laughs> the honest reality is, is that the stories that I share are meant to personalize something. The truth is found in Scripture. And if you can't hear that and say, I need this in my life, you need to question, where am I at? What's going on in my soul? says, if you remain in me, though, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here's the thing. There's something of this where Jesus is making disciples. He says, I'm connected to the Father. As you are connected in me, there's something that's happening where the power of God is made manifest so that God will be glorified. In your discipleship. This is what's going on. I want you to hear it well. 
Because some people look at things like this and they say, man, it's the name it, claim it, ask for it, you'll get it. If you just follow God long enough, throw a couple bucks in the offering plate, every time it comes around, everything will come up. Aces, you'll have everything you want, drive in the Bentley, live in the mansion, never get sick. It's not that kind of thing. What he's suggesting, though, is that to the church, to those who are remaining in Christ, to those who are connected to Jesus and whose words are in them, right? They can ask for whatever they want, and the Father will give it. Literally what he's saying is that you were created for a purpose, and even though what you're aspiring to do seems impossible, God is capable to do it. For those who are living on mission with him. And so it is that we understand ourselves to be kind of like this lamp. Don't don't pick on me too much. I just <clears throat> I really like butterflies. It has nothing to do with the fact that I got this from my daughter's room. I just like it. I like it a lot. And listen, this is a lamp. There's nothing too special about it. There is a bulb inside it. All the components work. And it's got a little drawstring here. And if I pull the drawstring, what do you think is going to happen? Well, it should light up. It's not plugged in. So if you try to turn on. A lamp that's not plugged in, no matter how many times you pull a switch, it's not going to work because it has no power. There's no power attached to, attached to it. But if you plug this thing in, if you connect it to a power source, what you find is that this lamp created for a specific purpose attached to a specific power source is able to light up. And then this lamp functions, doing what it was meant to do, casting out light into darkness. This is your purpose. This is what you were created for. And the power supply that we have been given in God is to accomplish this purpose. And so literally what he's saying, when you ask for whatever you want, you'll get it. When the word of God lives inside of you, when you're closely attached to Jesus, he begins to make the miraculous an everyday occurrence. This is the reality of a people that were living right after the times of Jesus. When Peter would walk down the street, his shadow would cascade over somebody and they would get healed. These individuals watched the blind see, watched the deaf hear, saw the dead raised to life. And I want you to know that I believe that our God is still doing miracles today. But they are not for the purpose of increasing your bank account, nor mine. They are not for the purpose of increasing your welfare. And they're not even for the purpose of uh, prolonging your life. Can I tell you that those who follow Jesus, all of them but John, died the death of martyrs of the early disciples. They died young, following Jesus, believing and trusting. And they also saw the miraculous work of God. The point that I'm getting at is that this verse is not to tell you, hey, stay close to Jesus, and if you want that yacht, cash it in, baby. What it's saying is that we were meant to glorify God. And he wants us to bear this fruit. He wants us to live into it. God is extending his power for the cultivation of the church and the increase of the kingdom of God into the darkness of the world. This is why we exist. This is what the church was meant to do. And third and finally, the fruit of your life is the love of God flowing out of you in obedience. I want you to understand something. In this 17-verse pericope, this passage 
in John chapter 15, there are two words that are both used nine times. One of them is the word fruit, and we saw plenty of that. They said, hey, if you remain in me, you'll bear fruit. If you're pruned, you'll bear much fruit. Fruit, 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 fruit. Listen, the reason why the repetition is going on is that Jesus is trying to convey something to them, and he's trying to get their attention. So when you're reading scripture and you see words that are being used over and over and over, lean in and say, God's trying to get me to pay attention here. And what he's trying to pay, get us to pay attention to is that our lives were meant to produce something that looks like Jesus. And the question then is what? In this latter half of this pericope, in the final paragraph here, verses 9 through 17, we also find the word love in some form used nine times. Now, it's not about having the exact same number or anything like that, but it is interesting that this word that is repeated over and over and over, you're going to hear it as I read it, is trying to get us to understand that the life God is calling us to is producing a fruit of love. It is producing a harvest that is pouring out love into a dark world. Hear this. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So he's not only telling us what love is, right? And some people get caught up in, what is the Greek word that he's using for love here? Is it agape, which is uh, unconditional love? Is it eros? Is it phileo? Uh, and, and, and I want you to know that we don't get our greatest picture of what love is by looking it up in a, great, in a Greek dictionary. We get the greatest picture of what love is by watching how Jesus defines it. There is something about this kind of love that doesn't work like other people's. In fact, most of us, we learn how to love selfishly. We learn to love the people who love us back. We learn to give to the people who give to us. We learn to take care of the people who also look out for us. This isn't the way of Jesus. Instead, we see Jesus saying, I'm going to give to you even if it destroys me, even if I die. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. This is an important thing, and it comes down, let's just make it simple real quick. It comes down to the strategy of sharing sandwiches. I've shared this narrative before. If you make a sandwich and you share it with somebody else, how many of you have ever done that before? You've shared a sandwich with someone. You made the sandwich, you cut it in half, you recognize that they are not the same size. Which one do you give to the other person? You give them the bigger half? Oh, God bless you. That's so nice. Anybody back to differ? You're like, I made that sandwich. Listen, I don't even know if they're hungry enough to eat that sandwich. You see, it's got a little bit more bacon on one side than the other. You're like, that's my sandwich right there. You start to wonder, you know what? If I don't let them see the other half, they'll think they'll are equal. And we start to justify it in so many different ways. And we say, hey, listen, if there is good, I want you to get but just a little bit less than me. This is the most normal, selfish impulse that a human being has. The desire to get what is best for themselves. And Jesus takes it a step further. 
As he says, man, it's good to give away the best of what you have to others and at times to give everything. At times it is good to completely lay everything aside and say, hey, if there's only one, you get it all, I get nothing. This loves to take that principle so far that you would even lay down your own life. It's the idea, if only one of us can survive, I want you to live. If only one of us can make it, I want it to be you. It is the absolute opposite of violence. Where violence says, if there's a price to be paid, you pay it. Love says, if there's a price to be paid, let it be me. This is what we see in the person of Jesus. This is love as he defines it. This is what love looks like. It is a life of laying down one's life, and Jesus goes on to prove it by laying down his life for us sinners, the undeserving, the wicked. He goes on to say, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Now this is an interesting perspective, right? You are my friends if I do what I command. Not everybody can say that. In fact, if you're wondering like how to make friends and influence people, this is not your best bet. Jesus says in other places, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. This is a principle that is embedded within the true nature of who God is, and Jesus is uniquely capable of making this statement. Because to not follow in the way of Jesus is to follow a path of destruction. And that path of destruction is not the path that he's on. He's saying, listen, if you would be with me, if you and I would experience love together, right? If we would know love, then you're going to have to submit and do things my way because the way of Jesus is perfect. This does not work for other humans. My way is not perfect, right? December 19th, I just celebrated my 15th anniversary. It's incredible, I know, that one that a woman would be married to me so long. God bless you, Allison. I think you're nearing sainthood. <laughs> but listen, if Allison and I were out on that date and I started to tell her, I said, honey, I love you. And she looked at me and she says, Andrew, I love you too. And then I got in real close. <laughs> and we had an intimate moment like this. And I said, honey, if you loved me, you'd obey my commands. <laughs> listen, listen. My wife has never hit me before, but there is a first time for everything. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. But when Jesus says it, he is not saying it as an arrogant human being. He is saying it as the Son of God. He is saying it as the perfect one who is calling us to live in alignment with the way of God. And he says, listen, you are my friends. You want to know how we're closely connected, where we share intimacy and love? If you do what I say. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Watch the difference between the servant and the friend. The servant, you're told to do something, but not why. And the servant would never ask why, because he understands he's at the behest of his master. But with the friend, he says, everything I know of the Father, I have revealed. There is no secret thing. There is no hidden motive of God. I have told you his nature and his character. I'm being transparent so that you may know him too. Everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Hear this again. 
fruit that will last. God has called you and appointed you to bear the fruit of Jesus in this world. That this world would be transformed completely by the nature of Christ alive in you. This is your purpose. This is what you exist for so that you might go and bear fruit and fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And then he tells us the command, right? You'll be my friends if you do what I command. What is it that you command, Jesus? What would you say to us? What would you tell us to do? This is my command. Love each other. He tells us to love. He tells us to care about one another. There's supposed to be something that happens here within the body of Christ, within the church, that gives off this supernatural love that draws other people in. That other people say it, see it, and they say, I want to be a part of that. That's supposed to be what we are, guys. You're supposed to care about each other in that sort of way. And I bet all of you have experienced this to some extent. For me in my life, you guys have heard about my family. We're pretty dysfunctional. We're kind of a mess. And I remember going over to my best friend's house. And I went there, and his family was different for a lot of reasons. But just a few I'll keep in on. His dad, is, I would come over to visit. He would kiss all of his children on the top of their head. And I found that without bearing his last name, he kissed me too. I remember praying, him praying over each of us. I remember him sitting in a stairwell and reading from the Bible or Guy Post magazine with all of his kids in all their different bedrooms to hear the word of God and know his love. I remember I, they would pray in, in, in the least convenient and most annoying ways that we would gather together around the dinner table. Uh, my best friend's mom would have made a meal and she would put it on the table hot and ready to go and rally the troops and all the kids would run down the stairs around to the table and in would come his dad and he would say, okay, before we eat, we're going to have everyone say a prayer or read a song. And so we would and we'd read a paragraph or two from the Psalms and then pass the Bible and then say a prayer. And by the time he sat down to eat the food, the food was cold. <laughs> you roll your eyes and go, what are you doing? Let me tell you, every time I got near that family, I looked at them and said, there's something so different here. I want that. And I looked at that and even as a six-year-old kid, I saw that and I said, that's the love of God. And I know that. This is what we're meant to be, guys. This is what we're called to be. To have this kind of incredible love for each other that it would transform us and change us and make us different. So I want to get practical with you for just a minute. I'm going to have the worship team come up and give us a little bit of background music, but we're going to do this thing. And I want to ask all of you to stand. Will you stand up for just a minute? And here's what I want to do. You can't love each other well. We can't be the kind of people that love each other and let that love kind of engage the world around us if you don't know each other. And so here's what I want to do for the next few minutes, three, four, five minutes, no longer than that. I want you to go, okay? Girls with girls, guys with guys. This isn't, you know, where you figure out how to get that girl's phone number. It's not that kind of deal. <laughs> we'll do that after church. But for here, girls with girls, guys with guys, I want you to leave your pew and go find somebody else and I want you to ask that person their name, get to know them for just a minute, and ask for their phone number. And here's what I want you to do. Throughout this week, I want you to think of some way to demonstrate love to them. Maybe it's a handwritten note or a card. Maybe you bake them cookies. I don't know if that's your thing. If you can't bake, bring them Oreos. Oreos are awesome. 
Figure out some way simple, small, just to say we're part of this church together and God has called us to love each other uniquely. And we're not going to leave here without doing that. So I want to see everybody find somebody else. Everybody should talk to somebody else. You can go now. Go ahead. Right now. Go find somebody else. Exchange a name, a phone number. Talk to somebody. Go ahead. I don't want to see anybody standing alone. If you're a guy and you're looking for somebody, there's two handsome men right here. They're just waiting. Sound guy? Yes, I'm running sound today. You do that from up here? Uh, currently, right now, yes, because our system crashed a while back. We're running a temp system. Oh, no way. Yeah, so we have to do it wirelessly from the tablet. Otherwise, it's supposed to be in the bag. How'd you figure out how to do all that? Um, actually, I wasn't the one who set it up. He's kind of in the very back of the band right now. He's the one who set it up. I love it, guys. You can keep talking to each other more after right. service. Get to know You're each up. other. That's great. Get some coffee. But for right now, for this moment, I need you to come back. If you didn't give them your phone number yet, do it quick, but I need you to come back. Help me out, guys. Help me out. I want you guys to do something. It's going to be hard to do, but I want you to make a circle around the outside perimeter. And I want you to take somebody's hand. All right, guys. All right. I love how hard it is to get you back. You bless me. Honestly, you do. I tell you what, if a circle is hard, just grab the hand of somebody next to you. That probably means, guys, you're next to a guy, grab his hand anyway. Cooties can't really be shared. It's fine. All right, but listen up, listen up. Listen up, guys. That's all right, we've got something very like a circle. I know, y'all. It's okay, it's okay. Listen, some people are going to have a harder time walking than others. That's all right. Let's connect them. Connect the lines. Draw somebody's hand in. I want you to grab hands with somebody next to you. Draw, your, draw these people in. If you realize it's harder for them to walk, just come to them. Just come to them. It's all right. Take their hand. Look, guys. We're asking God to do something miraculous, and that's to help this, this group of people. For some of you, it might be your first time here, your second time here, your third time here. We're asking God to do something incredible. We're asking him to put love in our hearts for people 
that we don't know super well, and some of us for people that we know too well. And we're saying, God, I want you to do something supernatural. God, I want you to help us love. I want you to put this love, this Jesus-like love in my heart, God. And I can't do that. I can't manufacture it. I can't make it or create it, but you can. And so, God, I'm going to ask you, will you do the miracle of making us the kind of church, the kind of people that look like this? God, will you do that in me? Will you give me love for the person whose hand that I'm holding? the person that's across from me in the circle, from the people who are around this room. God, will you give me a great and abiding love, the kind of love that looks like Jesus? We're going to pray for this. Can you join me? <coughs> Heavenly Father, we long for you. We long that your kingdom would be made known here on earth. We long that we would be the people that walk so close with you, Jesus. You would come out of us. We speak and when we act. We talk when we engage. God, that you help us to love God, that you would remind us of what it is, what our purpose is, what this fruit is, that, God, we were made for something, not just to, to avoid hell, but, God, to live into this, this kingdom of God thing, that we would be your people. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for some here in this circle, God, who are struggling with a lie right now that they're believing in their mind. Man, if you only knew what I did, if you only knew where I've been, you wouldn't be holding my hand right now. You wouldn't want me. You wouldn't love me. You wouldn't care about me. God, I pray that you would speak to that person, that you would speak to that lie, and you would tell them I do love them. And I love you more. You're part of my family. And I pray that you would join us together and you would give us the kind of love that we see in Scripture, the kind of love that changes things, the kind of love that transforms the world. God, we invite you to change us, to do whatever you need to do, to change that hardened heart inside of us in order to change that thing inside of us that kind of put you on the back burner or on the shelf and said, you know what, I've tried, it didn't work. I've tried, it was too hard. God, I tried, and love is just, it's an intangible thing. I just can't seem to take hold of it. God, we invite you. That which we cannot take hold of, you come take hold of us. We ask that you would build the love of Jesus in our midst. Come and be present here, we ask in the name of Jesus.